This episode of The Candid Frame is supported by Fujifilm's new integration with Frame.io Camera to Cloud. A new integration between Fujifilm and Frame.io makes it possible to transfer images or video to the web directly from your Fujifilm camera using C2C technology. Find out more by visiting the link in the show notes or our website. It might or it might not surprise you to know that I was shy and self-conscious for most of my life. I felt very awkward around people I didn't know. And I never developed that skill of small talk, making me pretty awkward and useless at any kind of social gathering. You know, a little liquid courage might have helped, but I was never much of a drinker. I'd likely find a corner, usually near the food table, and just waited for it all to be over. Remarkably, though, I didn't feel that way when I held the camera. With it, I felt emboldened to approach people, often strangers, and just strike up a conversation. Sometimes I wanted to make their photograph, but other times I was just curious about something about them, a cool jacket they were wearing, or some activity they were involved in. I think the presence of the camera allowed the focus to be more on them, rather than me and my wealth of insecurities. The camera opened the door to glimpse other people's lives and their stories. The camera provides us an excuse to satisfy our curiosity about others. It's what led photographer Larry Nuse to move from the south of France and immigrate to America. He used the camera to immerse himself in a culture that fascinated him as a boy and a young man. His new book and exhibition, Mississippi Dream, is a visual exploration of one of the most quintessential locations in the American South. And I hope that this conversation inspires you to think about what doors your camera could open for you and what stories you're meant to tell. This is Ibarian X, and welcome back to The Candid Frame. So, welcome, Larry. It's uh, Thank you for having me. I'm, uh, I'm really happy to be uh, on the show. <laughs> for people who, who are listening to this, this is the second time we're conducting this conversation because uh, we had some audio issues. So, we're doing this again, and uh, we're, we're going to have a time to, to dive deep. So, uh, Larry, let's start with your name because you are, com- you are 100% French. I'm actually now I'm yeah I was born in France but uh now I'm dual citizen I'm I'm also American since well when you were born is is oh, yeah. is, well, is what I'm, I'm saying yes and you have a name named Larry yes because so, I was like oh you know when people hear that they hear your accent they, they go oh Larry must be a nickname but it is your name it's my real name yeah so why don't you tell us why that is so my my parents named me Larry because my mom she she spent some time in uh, in in America in Texas because her aunt she's still alive um, live li, uh, and lives lives there and uh, she almost uh, moved there before having me and uh, she wanted to uh, bring something back to the state and uh, she named her first son uh, Larry that's the reason I mean again my parents always had like a fascination about. An, an interest about America. What are your siblings' names? Charles. Charles. Okay. Yes. He's one year younger than me. 
Larry's a little more American than Charles. Yes. <laughs> I was the only Larry in France. I mean, I, I never had, like, I never had encounter like, any uh, Larry in France growing up there. So it was pretty, Was I, I, I always enjoyed my name so far. Well, me as an Evadian ex, I was always questioned about my name. And I kind of got used to it. But it was always like, what is that? I'm sure that you probably Stammer. got a good amount of that. Oh, in France? So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so what was that like for you? Did it irritate you? Did you just... No, just, actually, it got me... Uh, it got me... Uh, I, I was proud of my name, you know, like, uh, because, like, uh, it was uh, it wasn't, it was not common to uh, to be named uh, uh, Larry and have an American name uh, in the south of France. So I... Uh, I I always enjoy it so far, and it's funny because when I moved to the States, uh, I met few Larry, obviously. When you were coming up, as you mentioned, your mom was and your dad were in American culture, music, film. That was a big part of you growing up. What was... Yeah. And it's, and it's interesting to sort of experience, you know, the, uh, the United States through its pop culture as opposed to living here. Yeah. And it's it's sort of filtered. You get you get a, like a polished idealized version of what this country is like. What were you imagining when you were coming up before you came here? What were you imagine what were you imagining United States to be? I had, I had this vision of like open road people driving like old old cars uh, seeing like those amazing old vintage neon signs, a cliche of a cowboy guy walking in the street wearing a denim, uh, a denim jacket and a denim, uh, jeans. I don't know. That's the America that we are like, um, we are seeing in movies and, uh, the America that I always fantasize. So, um, Moving, uh, moving here uh, in 2010. I mean, I came here before moving to the to officially moving to the state, but um, it was it wasn't it wasn't like it wasn't like oh I pictured it in my mind, but uh, luckily that America that I, I fantasized was still surrounded us, and uh, I actually made a photography project about it that I called Nothing Has Changed because like. Yeah, nothing has changed. That America still alive, very rarely, but you can still find it. Yeah, because depending on where you are in the country, there there are places where that sort of look from 50, 60 years yeah. ago still still exists. In for example, in Los Angeles, you get pockets of that. Los Angeles is constantly rebuilding itself, right? It will tear down something, put something new. So you'll you'll only see little glimpses of what it was like decades ago. But if you go to a city like New York or Baltimore, the city as it may have been during that period where all those great photographs were made by by, by these great photographers, you can still see it. And then if you go through you know the South or um, Middle America, those small towns, even though they have been sort of supplanted by Walmart and that whole cult culture, you can still see 
some of those very scenes that were photographed by photographers from the FSA or absolutely, or, you know, William Eggleston or Larry or Larry Frank. So when when you went did on that that project, how did you go about sort of finding it, especially since you were sort of new to the country? That was like exciting and also a mission, you know, like every time I was like traveling. So for that project, I really wanted to go everywhere in America. So every time I was like traveling in a different state, I was always avoiding like cities. I always wanted to uh, go like explore like small towns because I think like if you want to see this old America, that's where you need to uh, to go to uh, to um, to find it, you know. So I was walking like different. I was like walking different ways, either like I was driving like like with like nowhere to go and that was the best because that's where like you're, you're getting surprised when you see like I don't know like a whole building or like uh, some things that remind you like the past but uh, also what I was doing from home I was like going on on the internet and I was like exploring uh, small towns on Google Maps and uh, it was very interesting too because I was like getting excited to uh, to my next journey. So I was from home capturing like uh, some screenshot of like places that I wanted to, uh, to, uh, to visit. And, uh, and then eventually like I was going there and uh, I was waiting for the right subject to pass by. Or I wanted to be surprised to capture like a character walking in the street. Yeah. So I was scouting from home sometimes. I think it's a, a fantasy held by many photographers, the uh, the idea of hitting the road, a la Rob, Robert Frank, and just making... Yeah, big inspiration of mine, yeah. And when I think about doing it, I think about how I would approach it. I mean, there's something to just driving and then just seeing what you find. And the other is doing kind of a little bit of research, so you have some sense of where you're going. You're still yeah. open to serendipity and chance, there was a photographer I remember who I think did a series on towns that were called Normal. Okay. So there were like a variety of towns all over the country called Normal, and he would travel to those destinations to make photographs in those towns. Yeah, I have a friend who, it's funny you mentioned that. I have a friend who's from Normal, Illinois. Okay, cool. Yeah. So that I, so I think there's, there's, there's something to be said for having some sort of an agenda but not having it be rigidly so, mm. right? I'm totally right. So when you were going to these places, how much time before you actually sort of hit the road would you say you dedicated to to research before you even went out and made your first photograph? So as the project went further, like in years, you know, like early early days, I was like spending like maybe like, two weeks in, in the state of Nevada, just like driving around, going like to small towns. But as like the project like took shape, I was, I knew exactly where I was going. And um, that's what I explained like earlier. Um, I was like scouting from home on my computer or locations, making sure that I knew exactly where I was going. But um, usually like I was like, Fly, I was living at uh, in Los Angeles at the time, so I was flying from LA to uh, to the nearest city, renting a car, and just hitting the road. And um, 
trying to capture as much as possible uh, to make the trip worth it, you know? I've, I've visited France many times. I'm studying, I'm studying how to speak French right now. Nice. And one of the things that I'm sort of learning culturally is that French are very private people. They're not like Americans where they will just sort of strike up a conversation and share mm -hmm. like personal information about themselves. True. So when you come here to the States, you know, you have a certain advantage in terms of that people are maybe very curious about you and you can start a conversation and you can, you know, talk to them about making their photographs or, or being invited into their workspace or something like that. Tell me about you sort of getting used to that. Because if you grew up in a culture where you're kind of usually very private and you don't sort of quote unquote intrude into someone else's space or in, into their business very easily, was that an adjustment for you coming here and leveraging Americans' openness so that you could make photographs? The only issue I had that was probably like just the language barrier, you know, like sometimes like. I have a strong accent, as you as you can hear. <laughs> so I was like <laughs> sometimes just to uh, uh, to have those people understanding me. But I've always been like very social and very like not shy about like starting conversation with strangers. So my my I mean, the way I was like operating, for instance, I was like going to a, a small coffee place in a, in a small town by myself looking at some characters getting in uh, the restaurant. And I was just like introducing myself, uh, trying to explain what my journey was. And uh, most of the time, they were all excited to, to hear more about it. And they were like willing to help me. So um, I really like my six-year journeys working on, on uh, traveling uh, all across America. I didn't have any bad encounter, you know. That I not that I recon, but um, I I didn't find any issue to um, to to let those people allowing me to photograph them, or even sometimes they were like inviting me to their house just for me to be at their, their shadow and uh, capturing uh, their everyday life. I think one of the challenges when you have such a sort of sort of a wide net that you're casting in terms of the kinds of photographs you can make is that you can create a problem for yourself that you're photographing a lot but there's no but there's no focus right mm -hmm. it's it can be very different if you go okay i'm going to photograph you know preachers and churches that have less than 100 congregants right there's yes. a focus yeah so you eliminate a lot of other photographs that aren't conducive to that but when you're when you're looking at a much broader scene, you're looking at places, you're looking at people, you're looking at the relationship of of people to those scenes, and you're traveling all over the place. How how does that sort of evolve? Because you don't want a situation where you have tens and tens of thousands of photographs that you have to you have to yeah. filter through because then it just that in itself becomes overwhelming. You may have some wonderful photographs in there, but you really don't know where to start. So how did how did you deal with that? So it all started, in, I think that was 2011. I was uh, commissioned to, uh, to do a photo shoot uh, in, uh, in, in Southern California in a desert. And I was running late, I remember. And uh, I was driving like on the open road. And I saw like 
two cowboy guys walking on the side of the road. I mean, it blew my mind, and that's where I started to to think about this project. Basically, I took a photo from those guys from the car, and my mission, my goal was to show people that the the old America was still surrounding us. So from early on, I knew exactly what I wanted to photograph. So it wasn't like I was taking pictures without knowing what I was going to do with those images. I had the plans from day one, which mm-hmm. was traveling in all the country and showing something special from every single state that reminds that something from the past, but nowadays. And um, so I was making research. If I was like going to, um, I don't know, like in the East Coast, um, you know, like if I was like in Florida, what, what, what I wanted to photograph there, you know, like I was like trying to get in touch with like some locals and getting it, getting, getting, getting them aware of what I would like to photograph. And they, like I say, like they were all like pretty uh, welcoming and, uh, and they wanted making sure that I would be able like to capture what I, what I had in mind. My plans was was already made and uh, and I knew what would be like the the the, the final goal which which was like to have like a book a format of a book with all these photographs so because I always believed in in print and uh, and for me to be um, to have this project accomplished was to have it as a book but also being published that was a really really important matter for me yeah the first project and in your subsequent projects have taken, you know, a, a period of time, a couple of years in order to, to produce the work. So, you, and you're not continually out there for that entire period of time making photographs. You'll, you know, you go back and you're working as a, as a photographer, but then you find time to go out and spend maybe a couple of weeks or something. Yeah. Making, making photographs. Uh, talk, talk to us about doing it, doing it that way, because I think, I think many people, who aspire to do that think that oh I can't afford to do that I don't have the money no. to be able to spend that much time out there making all these photographs but there's so many photographers just like you who are working but sort of make the decision to find some time and resources to be able to to dedicate to this idea that they yeah. have so tell us about what that looked like for you so I was like trying to find the best way for me to travel and uh, without spending too much money and sometimes like even making money on the road. So the best way for me was like touring with bands, you know, cause when you're like touring uh, with bands, we're playing like every night, like a different city, a different state. And um, sometimes we have like some free time and I was like trying to, um, during the day, because usually like shows are by night. During the day, I was like driving around by myself, taking photographs for me. And by night, I was like photographing a band and getting paid for it. And all my, all my expenses was covered. But it wasn't the case for every, uh, every state, uh, I, uh, I documented. Sometimes I was like trying to sell like photographs for like, for those days photographs for some magazines trying to cover my expenses, you know, and, um, I was just like, yeah, trying to, 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 
to find a way for me to travel and without like sp spending too much money because it costs a lot, particularly in a big country as America. Um, yeah, that's why it took me uh, that long to, uh, to, uh, to finalize the project. It, it could sometimes, when you're doing a project over that long a period of time and finances aren't abundant, and you know, there's some weeks or months where you're struggling. I can imagine that there are times where you just put off, you keep procrastinating about, you know, setting a date for the project. Mm -hmm. And you're at risk of sort of letting it sort of atrophy on the vine. Just because you're prioritizing, well, I have to pay rent. Oh, I have to pay yeah. a car note. Oh, I have to pay the insurance. And what you think is going to be just months can turn into years. So talk to me about 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 reinforcing your commitment to to the project especially when you're just trying to to make a living at this yeah because i was like also i was younger and uh i mean you know like maybe like that's who i am i mean i i, I i'm not a, i'm not someone who's like giving up and uh when i started that project I never like spread the world to like, I mean, like maybe a few friends of mine knew what I was working on, but I, I wasn't someone who was like telling like what I was doing. I just, I just kept reminding myself, like you started that journey, you gotta, you gotta go through it. And luckily, like every time I was like traveling to, um, to the States, every time I was like bringing like some, some good content, some good images, I, I just believed in myself and I was like, that uh, I kept pushing myself uh, until like uh, it was done. But like you said, like six years, it's a long, it's a long time. I was like waking up, thinking about it. Every time I was like doing like a commercial work, shooting for a commercial in, uh, in Los Angeles, I was like thinking about when am I going to go back on the road, like working on, on this, personal project of mine because that that's my everything you know like if like i want to be recognized as a photographer i want people to recognize me for this for this work and not for my commercial work because my commercial work is like my bread and butter but this is like i keep saying like that's my baby you know because i yeah i live for it you know that's what makes me happy you know like and that's why you know like also i uh, i decide to shoot on film because the result, the, I mean, like, there is nothing better than when you photograph a photo, a pictures that came, like, the way, like, you, you see it in your, in your, in your, in your, in your mind. And, you know. yeah, that's such a, that's such a pleasure that I can't even describe, you know, like, it's so exciting. And, 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 and yeah, I'm having a hard time to explain because that's such a, that's, that, that's just a sensitive subject that I'm like, yeah, it's, it's who I am, you know, like, I'm, Every day I'm waking up, I, I, I'm, I can't wait to be on the road and I can't wait to be like working on, on my personal project. I think one of the advantages of shooting a project like that on film is, and some people see this as a disadvantage, is that you don't get to see the pictures immediately. Mm -hmm. But for me, I think why it makes sense to shoot that way is that it keeps you in the moment. It keeps you present. Because when you make the photograph, you don't get distracted by the screen. True. So you you continue to be focused in terms of what's playing out in, in front of you. And yeah. you may not see those photographs for days or, or weeks, yeah. depending on how long that you're out there. And uh, I think yeah. it's really kind of important to stay focused and stay committed to what you're doing. 
and you're giving you like 100% because you're making sure like your frame is good you're making sure your your light is good you're like you're like you're you're being there you're like you're, yeah you're, you you want to make sure like you have the right setup because if you were like shooting digital you have you you can shoot another picture and you can see it right away and you 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 can mess with the lining and everything no sometimes i had like if I'm lucky, I have two chances to photograph the same photo, but most of the time it was just once. And uh, the the stress flying back home to Los Angeles at the time, driving the day, driving the day after to my lab and like waiting to see like, that the picture came on on the negative. That was <laughs> such such a great pleasure, you know, like because you know, like until like you sit alive. You don't you don't believe that you don't believe it and you can go back on time because it's 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 too late you know yeah because anything could have gone wrong and you don't know for sure until you see that process yeah. film yeah something that uh that I experienced working on my second project Mississippi dream I I decided to uh, to photograph with those panoramic cameras one of them is well known because it's that's the white lux. But those cameras are so tricky, you know, like they can like tear your film apart inside, but you never know once you're shooting, you find out when you're like dropping your films at the lab, you find out that your film are like tear apart from each other and you lost all images. So that's why, you know, like um, I've been disappointed and it broke my heart because, you know, like when you knew, when you know that you shot a photograph that it's, it's gonna be a good, you know. Yeah. And when it doesn't happen, it's it's very frustrating. So um, I I, uh, I had to have like a plan B and a backup plan. So I was photographing with two panoramic cameras. Not that's why you know like I say panoramic cameras, and I don't see like only the white locks because I had like a backup less expensive than the because like, the white locks now it's it's I mean on the internet they're like pretty uh pretty expensive because now not yeah. around so i couldn't afford like two white lux so i had like a white lux and um an horizon 202 which is like the russian version of the of the white lux but it is a, the camera is as good as the white lux not as good looking but the, the pictures itself they are as good and yeah yeah he helped me out big time because like it's yeah that camera i could rely on that one when you're shooting with film, not only do you have the film that you have to buy and take with you, like you said, you're, you were shooting a variety of different formats. And for me, I'm always thinking about how much or how little gear do I take with me? Because mm -hmm. right? you, 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 there is as, as much equipment as there's out there and that you may own, sometimes all of that stuff is way too much. Oh, so tell me so, about it, yeah. That's the photograph of crime. <laughs> Yeah, so so you learned a lot from that first project. So mm -hmm. when you did Mississippi Dreams, how did that first experience impact how you cho chose to shoot it and what equipment to take with you? So, you know, when you shoot with those panoramic cameras, it's not like you're bringing, like, different lenses. I was actually traveling pretty light. I was, like, carrying my white lux, my Horizon 202, and... Um, and that was it, because, you know, like, you only have, like, one lens on it. And uh, it was most, but the gear I was carrying was, like, the film. You know, like, if I was shooting inside, uh, I, I was, like, carrying, like, a bunch of, like, 3200. 
outside obviously like 400 but um on that project i was that was pretty easy to pack the, uh, my bag uh, before like uh, going to mississippi i i knew exactly what to bring it was just like um, a manner of like which camera to use when i was like in the street and seeing like a subject or someone that i wanted to photograph Sometimes I was like, okay, which camera should I shoot the first picture first, you know? I think the last year, because I worked on that project for three years, the last year I was relying mostly on the, on the, on the Russian camera because I had what? too many issues with the wide lux. They are very fragile camera. And at the end of the project, I was having like what, the, what they call like bending on the film. So my photograph had some some lines, and that was ruining the image. The images. So uh, at the end of the project, I was more, mostly like shooting with the horizon camera. So why did you choose to focus on Mississippi for the second project? Well, while we're working on nothing has changed. The first book that we uh, we talked earlier, I drove through the Delta in Mississippi. Yeah, really caught my attention because I never seen something like this before. And um, I was like, I got to come back and do like a longer project here. I didn't think about, about a book first, but I was like, I knew that I wanted to come back to, uh, to, uh, to spend more time in, in Mississippi. And uh, then the pandemic happened. I was home in Los Angeles. I was getting ready to go back on the road. And all I was thinking about was Mississippi. I always like had a fascination about like not fascination but an interest I want to say about like mu- I mean about blues music and so uh, obviously like the blues is from Mississippi so just by being home and listening to lyrics from their songs I I was my mind was already there and I knew exactly what I wanted to photograph basically like Mississippi dream is like a love letter to uh, to Mississippi and uh, a respect to the Mississippians because Mississippi is like the poorest state in America, which is which is really sad. But also, like it goes back to what we we said earlier, you can still find those like old building from the past. You can totally see like the past still surrounding those towns over there and. Um, and as a photographer, it's very exciting. But as a, as a, as as someone that lives there, like they don't see like much evolution uh, than we can see like in big cities such as Los Angeles. Thanks to the many of you who have sent us so many kind messages about our six hundredth episode. It fills me with so much joy that the show has and continues to mean so much to so many of you. It's a labor of love, but it still takes time and money to make it happen. Now, you aren't able to help me with the time part, but you can certainly help us with your financial support. I'm asking you to support a show that brings you something that other photography podcasts and YouTube channels don't give you. Insightful genuine, and hopefully entertaining conversations that speak directly to who you are and aspire to be. I think that that's something that is deserving of your support. 
You can start today by becoming a Patreon supporter and contribute $5, $10, $20 or more a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash the candid frame. I continue to do this show because I believe in its mission completely. If you do as well, please become a supporter today. Thanks. How is, how is it for you? Because the majority of people in, in the photographs are African-American, they're black. Mm -hmm. For you, not only as a, as a white man, but also a, 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 someone from another country, mm -hmm. what kind of concerns did you have about how you photographed that those communities? Yeah. Because um, especially since, you know, there's a long history of, yeah. of photographers from outside of communities coming in and documenting the state, the Manura states. Yeah. Um, I feel like, so first of all, like, um, I'm sorry, I, I'm going to jump back to the, the question, but for that project, I walk in, or I walked like in a totally different way than I walked for me. Nothing has changed. I invited my, 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 one of my good friends, uh, Brooks, Brooks Gallo, uh, that I met. Um, in 2019, uh, when I was uh, on tour with a band, he was one of the one of the bass player, and uh, we we uh, we we started about like doing like a project together. And I was like, I I mentioned about Mississippi, and he was really excited to uh, to come with me, come along with me on this journey. And uh, he's he's from uh, he's from Utah, and. Um, and he's Americans. And so he wanted to do like, uh, the, 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 the text of the book. And me, my mission was to be a focus on the photograph. So the two of us, we started like traveling back and forth to Mississippi and we, uh, we introduced ourselves like to the community. And, uh, before like taking any photograph, we were like, just like, you know, like, 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 <laughs> like normal people. I want to say like, just introducing ourselves introducing yourself uh explaining what we were working on what what was our goal with this photograph and same as nothing has changed you know like those people like they they were like intrigued why this two white uh boys like coming here uh taking those photographs being uh being excited and also fascinated about like our culture um so i think it was like it was like a mutual respect because, like I say, like we are we are we we are like good people. We uh, we uh, we only see like the good in in everyone, and I think like people can see that in in, uh, in me or like in, uh, in Brooks in us. So they were like nothing but like welcoming, you know, and and that's why you know like that book is dedicated like to this like community and like to this great people in Mississippi. And, uh, that's also why we decided to call the book Mississippi dream. Cause yeah. all these people that we met over there, mostly like they, they, I don't want to say they are poor, but they, they mostly don't have much money. But one thing that they all have in common, they are happy and proud to be from there. Neither like, like, uh, like because of their culture, because of like what Mississippi is well known for. So like if like I mentioned about the blues, you know, like every time like they see and particularly like me as a foreigner, like talking about blues and they are like, Oh, they are like, they are proud that 
Mississippi is well known like overseas because of like the blues, for 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 example. Mm-hmm. So uh, they uh, they always like believed in our project. We had the chance to photograph like uh, an African American tradition, which is like uh, river baptism in. Uh, in uh, in uh, in, uh, in this lake in Mississippi uh, called Moon Lake, and they've been doing this tradition for like over 100 years over there. That's something that I really wanted to photograph, and uh, it was difficult because because of the pandemic happening uh, here in the country, uh, it was difficult to make it happen. But also like to to have them like being comfortable with us, you know. Uh, taking the photograph and being close, you know, like uh, during, uh, during, uh, during the pandemic. So um, first I was a little bit disappointed because like those photographs, everyone is wearing masks on it. But looking back, I'm now I appreciate those photographs because I don't know if, and I hope we, we won't have to uh, leave uh, something like this again, but uh, uh, it was just amazing to be like, to be able like to uh, to uh, to experience it because uh, that's 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 a beautiful that's a beautiful ceremony yeah, I mean if you're religious or not religious but like just to be out there and just seeing like those people and just have like a good spirit we all brothers and sisters there is like nothing bad and that's beautiful to see that you can still find people like this in the world and also particularly in this country. Uh, so um, nothing but grateful. Yeah. And I hope you can see it in those photographs. When we first talked, we, we talked about the sort of the image that you had of America, mm-hmm. um, you, know, you know, across the, across the ocean, the sort of idealized United yeah. States. And then you kind of came here and you lived here and then you kind of realized that there's a much different version Oh, Going down to Mississippi in the South, you get to see sort of the impact of economic mm-hmm. disparity, racism, yeah. the history oh, yeah. of Jim Crow. You get to see how sort of the legacy of all that and how it impacts people's lives. And though it did inspire a lot of art and culture and, and, and music, you get to see an America that most people do not see. And for you, being immersed in that and sort of coming out what are your thoughts in terms of how you see America after having spent time with those people and you get to see the, the real America, the, the real America in, in mm-hmm. terms of the, the darker things, the inequality. Yeah. How, what does, how does that leave you feeling and thinking about, about the country that you've adopted? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good question because you know, like I feel like I'm a, I'm a dreamer and I'm like, uh, I'm only seeing the good, like, in everyone and and I spent like I you know like I've been living in this country for like for like long time and uh, and I've seen good and bad I've been through like some personal stuff that were very very dark and uh, I can speak you know I'm not someone who's like oh I'm I've I travel in all fifty states and I've seen the good and the bad but you know. I'm I'm also a believer uh, that you can show the good stuff, and I'm thinking about like the future generation. You know, like if you only like see bad stuff on the TV, that that doesn't 
make you uh, that doesn't inspire you or that doesn't make you like uh, get out there and try to do some something good you know and um, my goal and mission is like to show and to do something good and to show that america is beautiful and you can still find like amazing people and as now as an as an as a citizen i'm i'm proud to be citizen because i also met like the most beautiful and amazing people in this country and uh i think that there is good and bad everywhere even where i'm from you know like you know like just like trying to see the good and my goal and my focus was only about like showing like the beauty of of the, the of the country and particularly like with mississippi i i i I, I I I was commit to just show beautiful image and I I like to say it's a love letter to um, to Mississippi. Uh-huh. You mentioned that one of the reasons why these projects are so important to you is is because you have such a passion for those kinds of photographs. That they, mm. they're the kinds of photographs that really sing to you, and you wanted to be known more for that than your commercial work. Mm, yes, uh, but. How does the way that you shoot and that you see in these personal projects, how does that find its way into your commercial work? Well, I'm I'm grateful because, you know, like my clients, they can see like little details that I'm spot on. And, you know, like if you look at my photograph, I like to to make a certain composition and I'm giving myself so much rules, so much like... Uh, so much detail. I'm focused about details, and uh, and I feel like there is a sort of nostalgia in my photographs, and uh, that my clients want to reproduce for their like product that they are trying to sell or like image that they are like trying to do. I'm all, that's why I'm working a lot with like musicians and uh, and. All these musicians I've been working, they all have a, a passion or fascination or interest about like vintage or s- stuff from the past. Without speaking, we're speaking the same language, you know? So they find, they find like they recognize their world in my work. One of the things that you and your team have been good on, good about, is in getting the word out on this book. Uh, they reached out to me and I, you know, discovered the work and discovered you. There was a parallel, there was a, a simultaneous exhibition that was in Los Angeles of, of, of the work. And I think that we should talk about the promotion of the book, getting the word out. Because, yeah, yeah you can make a beautiful and amazing book, but it doesn't matter if it's not getting in the hands of people who can appreciate it. Absolutely. So talk to me about your sort of game plan, what your game plan was for this for this book and how, how it differed from what you did for your first book. Well, the, uh, I was lucky in 2019 when I, uh, when I finished nothing has changed my first project. Uh, I was lucky to sign with, um, a, a publisher in, uh, in, in Belgium, you know, in Europe called Lanou. When I reach, or I, Automatically, automatically reach out to them for like the second book, Mississippi Dream, and they believed in it and they wanted to do like a suite of the first book. 
the first book was about America. The second one is like more with like a different subject, I mean, the same subject, but more like focus on uh, one state, which is Mississippi. So I, I was I was very pleased about the work they did for Nothing Has Changed. They have a good distribution worldwide, which is which is what I want. You know, like I want my book to be out there, like in nice bookstore, in uh, in hope that it will end up like in the in the right hands. People would who have a fascination about photography, not especially America, but photography in general. And uh, the the people at Lanu, they've been doing like a, a terrific job in terms of promotion and and uh, distribution. So uh, so uh, I I've been nothing but but pleased about it. So uh, so far it's been working well. And uh, we did uh, the lo- the first launch official official US launch of Mississippi Dream last February in Los Angeles. And uh, a month ago, we uh, we did it uh, here in in Nashville, uh, in my new hometown, uh, at um, at Ralph Lauren store uh, here in town, and uh, it was it was a success. Uh, it was nice to have like um, the the good community of Nashville like showing up, and uh, now we are working on uh, on doing. Uh, Doing two more uh, before the end of the year, probably uh, one in Paris and uh, the, uh, the other one will, will be in Europe. Uh, we're not sure yet. It will it will happen before like the end of the year. Talk to me about your move to Nashville. When people think about making it as a professional photographer, they feel like, well, I have to move to New York or, yeah. or Los Angeles. Nashville. Which is what I did. I, moved, I, I lived in LA for 12 years. I moved out here uh, in 2010. I was 22 years old. I grew up. I grew up in LA. That was my. I mean, in my my adult life was in LA, and uh, I was nothing but but great grateful for what the city brought me. But as uh, as I was getting older, I knew that uh, it was time for me to part ways with uh, with Los Angeles, and um, I always loved Nashville. I I don't know. I don't know how to explain why, but uh, the people, the the community, like the the landscape, it's really green. It reminds me of the the, the seasons also. It reminds me uh, a little bit where I'm from in the south of France. I love the low pace of life here, and uh, it's music city. So uh, not not only uh, country music, it's music city, and uh, a lot of stuff. A lot, a lot of stuff is happening in town, so um, um, I'm really happy. I'm really happy to be here, and uh, and and I'm really happy that I made that move. I'm in my. I'm I'm exactly where I need to be right now. <laughs> so, as you said, you, you know, you're photographing the the music scene, the music culture, the in, the industry. Um, how how did your business, your commercial business, change as a result of moving? Moving to Nashville as opposed to staying in the, in on the east on the west coast. I'm really lucky. I have um, and uh, I want to give credit to him. Actually, my good friend uh, Dan Orbach, the the lead singer of the band The Black Keys, uh, uh, is based here in Nashville since a long time. And in 2013, I was uh, commissioned to photograph him for uh, my friend's magazine, Dice Magazine, a motorcycle uh, magazine, and. Uh, I came here with, my, with the editor in chef, uh, Dean Mikitic, which is my best friend, and uh, and 
we 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 photograph uh, Dan and his motorcycle for the magazine, and Dan and I we became friends. And uh, in 2022, when I moved to Nashville, he uh, he offered me to photograph for his uh, for his uh, music label called Easy Eye Sound, was based in town. And uh, from there, like they uh, they uh, they uh, they asked me if I was ex- interested of like uh, going on tour with his band. The Black Keys and uh, as their photographer and uh, and uh, and I did it and it was it was a beautiful journey and it's still it's still happening because we are about to uh, to go to Europe for the Euro tour in just a couple of weeks. I'm very grateful to work with those guys because they are like amazing Dan and Pat. They are great guys and they they believed in, in me and uh, and uh, and I'm and I'm giving my best to do the, the job. And uh, yeah, and business-wise, like my, my it's it's uh, it's it's been it's been it's been incredible since I moved to here. I'm I'm really happy. <laughs> that's a that's a dream gig for a lot of music lovers. The idea of being able to photograph and and you know photograph a great great band, but being on the road is exhausting. It is exhausted, you know. Like I'm, um, I'm about to be to turn 35 next week, and I'm still, I'm still young enough to, uh, to be out there and to, uh, to travel, jump to, help uh, to plane every day and doing the, the commute of like, like being on the road. But uh, let's, we'll see where we are in five years, you know. But uh, so far, I'm still like, I'm still excited to, to be out there, you know. It's, but talk, talk to me about sort of the mindset, because those are two different mindsets. The the mindset that allowed you to create Mississippi Dreams, mm. and then the other sort of mindset that's required to photograph a rock band on the road. Yes. Um, yeah, you're st- still making pictures, but there is just a, a way you have to sort of think about what you're doing. Yes. You need to have a short list. You need to... Uh, to uh, and also... If- I'm photographing them like mostly like all the time during the day, you know, trying to capture like candid moments and uh, just like documenting like what's going on being on tour. But every night I'm shooting them like performing and most of the show, they, they are like the same, you know, we are in a different city, but they are the same. Mm-hmm. And I'm challenging myself to do like something different every night, you know? So, but which is also very exciting for me as well because it's like every night feels like different and uh before shows i'm always like trying to make like a a short list in my in my in my mind and uh and i'm chasing for this photograph and when they are when we are like when the show is actually is actually happening i'm chasing for those photographs so it it reminds me a little bit of me being in the streets waiting for like a character to walk by in the street and being there out there to photograph like the right moment. And it is the same with kind of the same with, uh, with, with them when they are performing on stage. Do you have to turn around these images fairly quickly so they can use it for oh, social yeah. media? Yes. Right away, right away. Sometimes. And sometimes we finish the show and we are like doing a runner, what we call a runner. So mm-hmm. we have to jump right away in the bus and uh, and we're already off to the next to the next city because like 
we are like we, we travel in, in a work in a, in a work country and sometimes we we are like driving all night uh, I mean our bus driver is driving all night while we are sleeping but my job is like constantly on the run and I'm like constantly carrying my camera bags with my computer and I'm like editing those images right away sending them to the to the the band management in Los Angeles and in the morning, they're already posting images on social network and the media, and uh, we are. It's it's really like a teamwork. Do you find after the tour is over, you go over the images again, because you had to do it on, under such pressure, and and do you make some nice discoveries when you have a little more sort of no? I have, you know, we we wrapped the U.S. tour um, last year, which was like almost four months on on the road. Mm-hmm. I haven't looked at those images. They're all organized in my hard drive, and I haven't looked at those images yet. Because I'm still in a job right now. You know, like, we are, like, on Wednesday, we are flying to Mexico City, and we are, like, doing some couple events over there for a couple of days. I'm going to have to photograph. I'm going to have to turn turn around. I'm going to have to deliver those images right away. But uh, eventually, like, like, I mean, like, at the end of the year, like, when we wrap the, the Euro Tour, we have like a lot of co- lot of contents because it's going to be like two years since we've been working together on this project, and maybe we're going to end up like doing another book. Who knows? It'll be really interesting to see what what yeah the entire experience results. Again, it's one another long term project, but that one that you know required you yes. to approach it in a very different way. Yeah, but I'm trying to do also my my um, my way that I that I've been know in the past with like Nothing Has Changed and Mississippi Dream, which is like very raw project. So I'm combining both. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore, and it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? Okay, if I have to pick one. So my work, I mean, like, if I, my work has been inspired by like, some photographers who are like actually dead <laughs> and uh, I wish I had a chance to meet them but I really like the work of my friend uh, Loa Moore she's based in uh, in Los Angeles she's a great person she's an amazing film photographer and uh, like the way she approached like the way she she photographed her subject she's just like she, the whole the whole the whole combo is just amazing because she she's a great person, but also she's extremely talented and uh, she deserves to be uh, recognized and known. That's awesome. Well, Larry, thank you so much, and uh, wish you the best of luck with the book. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, and uh, and I and I want to say thank you for having me again, and I'm looking forward to see uh, see uh, the interview up uh, live. <laughs> Thanks to Larry for joining us. Find out more about Larry and his work by visiting LarryNews.com. And if you're a fan of our work, you can write reviews on whatever service you use to listen to podcasts and share a favorite episode on social networks, be it Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Remember to use the hashtag TheCandidFrame. You can support us financially by contributing via PayPal or Patreon. We've also relaunched our newsletter, and if you want to receive updates on everything related to the Candid Frame, as well as book recommendations and announcements for special events and workshops from us and some of our guests, 
please sign up by visiting our website. And if you can't find every episode of the show on whatever service you use to listen to podcasts, download the Candid Frame app, available for Apple iOS and Android. And because of your generosity, it's free to download and use. No additional purchases are required. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.